right? Wives, submit to your husbands. This is how our verses start today. Um, I know this is not a popular thing to say in the world at large today, and maybe it never was, um, but the role and rights of women are definitely a hot topic in the world today. Um, and most people would probably disagree with that statement and probably get angry if I said this to someone who wasn't a believer. And it's probably not even that popular even in the church today. Um, many people are skipping past this or finding ways around it or reinterpreting it. Um, and I get it. Nobody wants to say that women are, less, are lesser or weaker or anything like that um, than men or that they have to follow someone else's leadership just because they're male, right? I, I get it, right? But we also, in addition to that, aren't good at dealing with authority, right? We want to decide what's best for ourselves, um, to not to be told what to do by somebody else. Just look at how hard it is just to get people to wear masks, right? We've seen an example of that um, lately. And as Americans on July 4th, um, it's a reminder that that's what our country was really built on, is we didn't like authority, so we decided that we would rebel against it and create our own country. And so it's ingrained in us as Americans to be skeptical of and of authority and to do that. And then wrapped up in all of this is the idea of marriage and the concept of being married. And so the world tells us the goal of marriage is to live happily ever after. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we want to do. Right? But I don't actually think that's the goal of marriage in the Bible. I think the goal of marriage biblically is to help us to be more holy. Um, marriage isn't to make you happy, but to make you holy. And if you're working together to make one another holy, then I think the happiness comes along with that. And so what I'm asking for, and I feel like I've said this a lot in the book of First Peter, is just hang in there to the end, because some of this doesn't mean what it looks at like at face value, and I think it's going to be helpful. So even if you're not married right now, this is still helpful for you. I'm going to explain all of that at the end. So the concepts could, will still be helpful to you, um, no matter where you are and your relationship status. And so let's read this together. First Peter chapter 3, um, verses 1 through 8. And it says this, In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that even if some disobey the word, they may, may be won over without a word by the way their wives live, when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes. Another great verse to talk about for any of you who are wearing earrings or anything like that this morning. Um, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. And so 
first, and we're going to kind of work through this a little bit out of order, but the concepts are going to be there, is I want us to understand that God's plan is for our holiness. The way that he has structured things, the way that he has set things up is to help us be more holy. All the things he does in all aspects of our lives and in the world are to bring people to know him and to grow in holiness, to live the way that he intended. And that includes the concept of authority. So we see Jesus actually give us a great example of submitting to God's authority. When he comes to earth, he submits to the authority of the Father, right? He says specifically, right, I only do what the Father tells me. Whatever he tells me to do, that's what I do. I'm submitting my will to his, right? He came to earth and he lived as a man and he suffered very unjustly, even to the point of going to the cross. And he goes to the cross because it's the Father's will, right? Not because it's his will. And he does that not for himself, but for the good of others. Because that was God's plan for salvation. And he does that, right? He submits to the Father, not because he's weak, not because he's lesser or anything like that, but because in his strength, he submits to God and his purposes and the Father's authority. And so submitting to authority is something that Jesus did. And so like we saw last week, if he is our example, we should follow him and try to do the same things that Jesus did. Um, God also gives us authority structures to keep things orderly from turning into chaos, right? God gives churches elders and pastors and deacons to help lead the church. He gives us the government to help keep order, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago. He gives husbands authority over wives, parents authority over children, and all these other things. All of these structures from God are for the good of the people involved, and without them, things would get a little crazy. Um, we see this sometimes in the Bible where it says everyone did as they wished, and after that, nothing good happens when those verses show up. So setting structures or a system of authority doesn't mean that the one who is under someone in authority is lesser or weaker. Um, Jesus shows us that, but these verses do as well, even though at first glance you may think it says the opposite. So I'm going to start at the end in verse 7, where it kind of looks like it says women are weaker than men. And that verse 7 says, Live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. And so I get it at first glance, this seems to say that women are weaker than men. But the word for um, partner here is the same word for jar or container or vessel. And so it's not talking about your whole person, it's just talking about your physical body, right? Your outer shell, that's your container essentially, if we think about it that way. It's holding you together. And so essentially all he's saying is that the body, the outward part of a woman, is usually weaker than her husband. Anybody know anybody who's married to, and their wife is stronger than them? A couple, there's a couple of exceptions, but for the most part, right, the husband is stronger than the wife. That's really all that he's trying to say. That's why we have men's and women's sports, right? It's the same concept. And so that's what this is saying, because her outward vessel is weaker in the sense you need to care for her. 
but it doesn't mean that she can't be or isn't stronger emotionally, mentally, spiritually, or socially. All of those things can still be true. But what he does in the next line is he puts them as equals on the same footing, right? He calls them co-heirs of grace. So in Christ, they both inherit the same thing. They're both children of God on equal footing. They're both treated the same by God and his grace and mercy, and they receive the same reward, eternal life, and being with him in heaven. They're co-heirs, right? They get the same inheritance. It's not like one is getting more than the other. You get exactly the same thing. So we see in this that God's plan is for wives to submit to their own husbands, Right? Just as we are to submit to the government, wives are to submit to their husbands. And I know that when we hear the word submit, it, we take it in a negative context. Um, but the word submit here has to do with living according to God's planned order, um, not inferiority of any kind. That's not what it's talking about. And just in case you were thinking, hey, this is just one verse, um, I'm not convinced just from this. Ephesians 5 verse 22 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Colossians 3.18, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. There's verses about this in 1 Timothy 2 and Titus 2. And I think all throughout Scripture, I can actually build a case from this from Genesis 1 all the way through. Um, just saying, we're not going to do that today because we don't have time for that. But if you have questions or you want to hear that, let me know. All right, but this doesn't just talk about wives, and that's why I appreciate these passages. It also calls husbands to do something as well. And I think in almost every passage where it says something about what the wives should do, there's a passage for husbands right after it. And in my opinion, the call to the husbands is actually harder and more challenging than what he's calling wives to do. Because it says, husbands are to live with their wives in an understanding way, right? To understand your wife is to know her, right? It means insight that leads to loving and considerate care, right? In order to care for someone and to meet their needs, you have to know what their needs are, right? Not guess what their needs are. You have to know, which sometimes leads to, hey, I need to ask some questions so that I can understand what's really going on. And so I have some questions, just in case you want some examples. Um, men, do you know your wife's greatest need right now? Do you know what she worries about? Do you know what her hopes and dreams are? Do you know how she's doing spiritually? No elbows, please, during this portion of the sermon, right? You can elbow later. But hopefully these are questions you would ask, right? To understand what their needs are, how you can care for them, how you can lead them, how you can support them, right? This calls you to do that as husbands, to know her so that you can help her grow and become more like Christ, whatever that looks like. So God's plan for us includes a structure in the home where men lead their wives and families to be more Christ-like. And so God's plan leads to our holiness, but your actions also bring holiness, which is the second part of this. God respond, calls us to respond to his word in a specific way so that we can grow to maturity. Our actions bring holiness in ourselves and in others. And so we see that, holy, that it brings holiness in ourselves, specifically in women, in verses 3 through 5. 
right, that says, don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. First off, this isn't saying that you can't wear jewelry or fix your hair or wear nice clothes. That's not what this is saying. The word for beauty here is cosmos, which means kind of ornament or decoration, and coincidentally, it also means world. It's also where your word cosmetics comes from, um, if that sounds familiar. So what it's saying is, don't let your outward appearance, don't let things like hairstyle and clothes and jewelry and all of these things become your world, become your focus. Right? If you only focus on your outward appearance, you have missed something. Right? We talked about this actually on Wednesday in our apologetics class. It's the whole concept of being the outside is a whitewashed tomb, and it looks great, and it looks beautiful, but inside, there's a dead person. Right? It's not good in there, so if you only focus on the outside and not the inside, you're missing something, right? which is what it says. You also need to focus on what is inside the heart, um, the in, and some of your translations may have like the inner or the hidden person of the heart. This is a tricky phrase to translate, so you get lots of different ideas of this. But what it's talking about essentially is your spiritual self. Your character is more important than what you look like or what you present to the world. And also, Peter does this thing over and over again where he contrasts the perishable with the imperishable. Right? Things that are going to pass away with things that aren't. And so the things of this world, your beauty, your jewelry, your clothes, are all perishable. They're all going to pass away. Right? And here, Peter continues to do that. He calls us to seek the imperishable. And what he specifically says is to have a gentle and quiet spirit. And I'm going to explain what those mean, just to be sure that you guys don't think it means I'm just supposed to be nice to everybody and never say anything, right? Because some of you, that's not who you are, and you're going to have a real hard time doing that, right? But gentle means friendly, in contrast to roughness, to having a bad temper, to being brusque. Biblically, it's talking about somebody who doesn't attack back which also fits what Peter has been talking about. Remember, he talked about Jesus entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. It's the same thing. I'm entrusting these situations to Jesus and expecting him to take care of it, him to be responsible for taking, doing that so I don't have to take matters into my own hands. It also talks about a quiet spirit to be calm and peaceful as opposed to restless or rebellious or disturbed, right? To be quiet in that sense, not that you're quiet and don't talk a lot or make noise or anything like that. And so what he's talking about actually is adorning yourself, not necessarily with outward things, but to adorn yourself with Christ, to put him on every day to say, this is who I am. This is who I want to be. This is my example. This is who, this is who empowers me. This is who gives me what I need every day. And so he's talking about putting Christ on. So just like you put on your jewelry and you fix your hair and you pick your clothes, you say, I'm choosing to put on Christ. I'm choosing that on a daily basis. But he also speaks to men and their holiness, although he does it kind of in a negative way, right? He says in the same way, right? He says in the same way to both men and women, 
referring back to the earlier things that we've talked about, live in an understanding way so that your prayers will not be hindered. Right? So if you aren't living this out, your prayers will be hindered. But what does that mean? Does it mean God doesn't hear your prayers anymore? Does it mean he's not listening? I don't think that's really what it means. I think it's saying if you don't live the way that God intended, specifically in this instant, in the way that you care for your wife, it hinders your relationship with God. And I think we all know this in a general sense, right? The more you stray from God, the more you go away from his commands, the more you don't live out what he's asking you to do, the worse our relationship gets with him, right? This doesn't mean he listens to us less or loves us less but it's the reality of sin impacting our relationship with God. And so ignoring this command would hinder your relationship with God, and you may not get the answers to your prayers that you would get when you are being obedient or living this out, or you may get answers slower. Living the way God asks us to brings us into a better relationship with our wives and with God and moves us to holiness. But not only holiness for ourselves, it also talks about bringing holiness to other people, right? The situation that Peter refers to specifically is a woman who is married to an unbeliever, and so that she may live in a way that she wins him to Christ without having to say anything, right? That her life would be a testimony that would be an example. And as a side note, just for fun, and I think it's helpful. The fact that Peter talks to the wives is another example, like we saw a couple of weeks ago, about talking to the person in the relationship that you would, the culture itself would never talk to. And here's the reason why. In this time, the wife took the religion of the husband. Whatever he decided they were going to believe, that's what the whole family believed. And so Peter is actually saying, in Christianity... There is freedom, there is space for the wife to decide on her own what she wants to believe, right? Which is way ahead of its time for when this is written. And so it opens the door for this situation. And so actually, when you look at the cultural context and what the Bible is doing, it actually elevates the status of women over that in the culture over and over and over and over again. So I, so know, I know to us in 2020, looking back, it seems like it's way behind the times, but for when it was written, it was way ahead of the times. And I think if we explain it that way and look at what it really is asking us to do, it's still the case. Just a little aside, just in case that's helpful for you. And so in this case, right, their submission, the wife's submission to their husbands was to win them over to Christ, to be obedient to what they're asking them to do. And once again, this is not talking about a dangerous or abusive or sinful situation. If, they're, if you're a believer and they're asking you to do something that's sinful or dangerous or abuse or anything like that, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about just obeying in that sense or going along with it in that sense, right? But wives... Submitting to God, in the, if you are both believers, wives submitting to godly husbands leads to a healthy maturing of disciples. Right? It sets the tone for others. It gets a testimony to other married couples. It gives us a testimony to your children. It's a witness of what marriage is supposed to be. 
And this is a, a challenging question that I ask myself sometimes is, is my marriage a good reflection of what God desires for marriages to look like? Is my marriage look different than my friends and the people around me and coworkers and those in the world? Does it look any different at all? And if it doesn't, I think maybe I'm missing something because this sort of says that your marriages can be a testimony to Christ and lead others to know him and to understand who he is. And so in case the earlier questions weren't enough, men, this is your challenge, that your marriages would portray Christ in everything that it does. And so it brings holiness to our wives and to our families. And living this out is actually what's best for your family. So let's talk about what do, we, what do we do with this, right? We have the concepts, so how do, we, how do we apply this to our lives, right? That it's not talking about lesser or weaker, but following God's design on all sides. And it's not going to be easy. That's what he talks about when he says, don't fear any intimidation, right? It isn't saying necessarily be afraid of your spouse and their reaction, which when I read intimidation, it makes me think of like a borderline abusive situation that someone's intimidating somebody else. But this, what this is actually saying is other people, other wives are not going to understand this. If you're living biblically, the people that you're around, your coworkers, they're not going to understand how this works. They're not going to get it. Um, and especially those who aren't believers. So don't be intimidated. Don't be swayed by the way that other people live to say, well, I just want to live like everybody else so I don't have to deal with the comments and everything else that goes around. Right? Don't let the culture influence the way that you live. Don't be intimidated by the culture, right? but to live out God's plan for you. Right? Not even an unbelieving spouse should prevent you from living the way that God intended. So this is the situation we're talking about. And so if you are married to someone who is not a believer, right, your call is to follow their lead, to encourage them, to support them, to pray for them like crazy, right, to love them, not to nag them, even to go to church. I know that sounds crazy for your pastor to say, don't nag someone to come to church, but that's what this is really saying is you, that, that's not the way to go about this, but to be wise and caring in that situation. And for wives of, of all kinds, believing and unbelieving, whether your spouse is a believer or not, is to pray for your husbands, to encourage them, to support them. When they try to lead spiritually, when they try to ask questions, when they try to pray with you or read the Bible with you, please respond and be graceful. I think, in, in my opinion, and just talking to some others, I think this is actually one of the hardest things for men to do. It still scares me, right, almost 20 years later, to try to do something spiritually with my wife. And I think what it is, it's the enemy trying to keep us from growing together spiritually, of following Jesus together. And here's just a super practical one, because um, I, I, sometimes people stand around and complain about their husbands. It's a thing that happens maybe from time to time, but I'm encouraging you, just don't do that. 
You don't have to jump in and complain about your husband like everybody else to support them and encourage them, whatever the conversation. I'm not saying you have to lie and tell them they're the, the best husband ever and they always do everything you ask, but just think about even the way you talk about them in public, that even that supports them and encourages them. And for husbands, right, the call is to know your wife well, right, to ask questions, to understand them, to support them, to provide for them, not just financially, but emotionally and spiritually. Your job is to make sure that your wife becomes all that God has intended for her to be. And if that takes some of your time and you have to sacrifice a little bit of what you wanted to do or what your plans are for that day or whatever, it's worth it, right? But we also should pray with them. We should read the Bible together. And this one kind of sums up all of it is be worthy of following, right? If you are leading your family, be a worthy leader. Seek to grow, seek to learn, seek to understand, seek to care, right? And now we get to, I told you we were going to come to this. If you're not married, then how does this apply to you? If you're not married and you're dating or you're looking for someone to be married to, you should be looking for someone who helps you be holy, who not just makes you happy, who you enjoy spending time with. Those things are great. But if you don't believe the same things and they're not making you more Christ-like, I would be pretty cautious about continuing a relationship with them. If you're single or if you're widowed, I think these concepts are important, and I think it would be helpful to find someone to walk with you in this way, to support you, to encourage you, to ask you questions so that they can help you and walk alongside you, whether that's a friend or a family member or just somebody in the church to walk alongside you, because I think we all need those relationships of somebody who's encouraging us and supporting us and praying for us and asking us questions, right? That's what we would call discipleship. Right? And so I would look for someone who can help you do that. And so that's the call for all of us, to grow as disciples, to be more holy. And that's what this is all about, right? Of leadership and submission and authority and all of these things are for our holiness. And so our relationships, especially marriages, are for our good, they're for your good, and for our holiness, and it brings grace and growth for everyone if we follow God's commands and we serve one another well. And so that's really the call, to follow God's commands and serve each other, to love one another, to sacrifice for one another, to support and encourage one another. Will you guys pray with me this morning? God, we come before you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We thank you for a chance to gather this morning and to talk about your word. And even though it's a, a, sometimes a topic that we don't talk about a lot or that we don't like to hear, we can trust that the principles of your word are really for our good, that you give these things so that we can grow, so that we can be holy, so that we can be more Christ-like. God, I pray that we would all, husbands and wives and, and wid widows and widowers and single people and kids, that we would all just submit to you, submit to following your leadership. And as we do that, you will change our hearts, you will change our direction, you will help us to be the people that the Bible talks about. 
Help us to become the, the spouses and the friends and the co-workers and the um, boyfriends or girlfriends or whatever it may be that you desire for us to be. And that in all of those things, in all of our relationships, that we would spur one another on to holiness, to seek you, to follow you, to become more like you day by day. In your name I pray. Amen.